Welcome to the Church Times podcast. Try 10 issues for £10 or two months access to our website and apps also for £10. Go to churchtimes.co.uk forward slash new hyphen reader. This week, Sam Wells talks about his new book, How to Preach, Times, Seasons, Texts and Contexts. The interview with Christine Smith, publishing director of Canterbury Press, was recorded at the How to Preach training day on the 24th of October at St Martin in the Fields in London, where Dr Wells is the vicar. The book is available to buy from the Church Times bookshop for the reduced price of £18.39. Details will be announced shortly of the next Festival of Preaching event, which will take place in Cambridge from the 15th to the 17th of September. To be the first to know more, sign up to our newsletter at churchtimes.co.uk forward slash events or follow the handle F of Preaching on Twitter. Well, what's occasioned this day is, of course, the publication of How to Preach. And uh, so far this morning, we've heard two incredibly different approaches uh, to preaching. And there's more to come this afternoon. Um, But I'm just going to have a few minutes conversation with Sam about his new book. I hope you all picked up your uh, copy on the way in. Sam, this is the first book uh, for me in nearly 40 years of publishing where a book launch has turned into a whole day's programme. And of all your 46 books, uh, we are in rugby score territory here. It's one of the biggest. And does this in itself say something about the importance you attach to preaching? I think it's about the importance I attach to theology. I I think, without going on a rant, I think... uh, There are many things required of clergy today, and we all know there are many things that haven't been there in clergy in recent generations, which has brought the church into disrepute and has damaged many people's lives. So there are many things that need to be part of clergy formation that perhaps weren't majored on uh, a generation or two ago. I'm not criticizing the things that do happen in clergy formation, but I don't, uh, when I, trained for ministry. I did a theology degree as part of that training. I also had training at the college separate from the university where I got pastoral studies and and so on, things that didn't happen at the university. I think I went to one seminar on preaching. And yet, when I then was in a parish, well, I, I learned that one of my teachers had taught me something really mistaken, which was he taught me, don't talk about yourself in sermons, talk about God. What I learned when I was in my first curacy was that if you don't talk about yourself in sermons, people will make it up. <laughs> you know, pe- people, people, if, you, you know, if you're a single man, as I was, aged about 26, and people are curious about your life, of course they are. And you're this authority figure who you privately think, I wasn't wearing a collar two weeks ago, um, I've really got nothing of interest in my life to share. But, but you have to share of yourself. And so there were lots of things that I had to learn when I was in my first four or five years of preaching that no one had taught me when I was at seminary. That seems to me seriously wrong because what I discovered was that preaching, uh, I mean, Steve's, the, his Steve's three v, Vs are really helpful, and I wish I could think of a fourth V that expresses what I'm about to say, but it's, um, it's your life that is the biggest preacher. 
Uh, and if there are, yeah, uh, various similitude or something, I don't know, uh, so, uh, some other V. Um, in other words, if what you're saying doesn't rate, resonate with who you are, people will listen to who you are, not what you're saying. Um, so there's, so I, I guess I'm trying to write that balance by, by not trying to... I don't think this is necessarily a book for the seminarian. I think it's a book for, for you guys who are two years in, six months in, 30 years in, saying... Do you know, I, I never really reflected on this stuff with someone who took it a lot more seriously than I do, because I take it really seriously. What would it be like? And again, rather than doing that by saying, chapter one, preparing the sermon, chapter two, you know, rather than doing that in a rather dull fashion, I thought it would be interesting to do pretty much what I tried to model today, which is a few words of introduction, here's a sermon, okay, what's really going on here? This is Ascension Tide. Okay, here's some, here's some rules for Ascension Tide. Do not preach a sermon about feet disappearing through the top of a picture. It's not interesting, it's very distracting, it's not even particularly funny, because almost uh, you know, three-quarters of every congregation have heard that before. It's, not, it, it's doing what you shouldn't do in a sermon illustration, which is actually say the opposite of what you're trying to say, and then distance yourself. That's time wasted and distract. Okay, so that's rule number one about Ascension Tide sermons. What, rule number two about Ascension Tide sermons, it's, it's a Thursday. You've got to think about whether people are actually going to come on a Thursday or they're going to come on the Sunday afterwards. Should you actually preach your Ascension Tide sermon on the Sunday afterwards? Do think about that. <laughs> Thirdly, what is it theologically? God comes down in Christ at Christmas. God goes back up uh, at Ascension. It's the other half of Christmas. Think about integrating a notion about Christmas into your Ascension. Do you see what I mean? after years of reflection, these, some of these things, some very practical about the tiredness of the feet disappearing through the, through the painting kind of uh, story, and, and some more theological. How, you know, let's get some lessons down on paper. And, you know, one or two of my friends who tease me a lot, I mean, it's not just my friends that tease me a lot, but <laughs> say, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a few of your prejudices in here. I make no apology for that, and they've become prejudices because I've got tired of, I, I, I mean, a lot of the mistakes I'm criticizing are ones I've made myself, and they've been pointed out to me by somebody else. And usually the way you learn, you know, unfortunately, the way you learn is you do a session like this, and then somebody here who knows you well comes up to you and said, Sam, you know, the way you talked about that kind of person, we don't really do that anymore, and I, I didn't feel good for you having spoken like that. And I go away and say, no, no, it's perfectly good. And it was absolutely nothing. And everyone thought it was terribly funny and everything. And then three days later, I say, mm, fair enough. I don't think I'll do that again. And so this is, the book is full of notes of, mm, you might be very defensive when you read that and say, oh, I'm not. Three days later, you think, mm, I probably won't do that again. So I think a lot of us here can identify with that. We went to one seminar on preaching. Um, you spent several years in the US where there isn't a seminary without a department of homiletics. Um, here, there isn't a, a training institution that has one. So to use your theological language, do we have a scarcity problem with preaching? Well, I think, I mean, it depends what you mean by we. Uh, I, I grew up in the kind of broad church, liberal, slightly Catholic, but, you know, good old Church of England tradition. And many of you will be familiar with that tradition, and if a tradition is the right word for it, 
Um, it's a bit beleaguered now because other traditions have made a lot more noise in the last couple of decades. Um, but in that tradition and in the more Catholic tradition, you, you go to church to receive communion. You go to survive the sermon. <laughs> <laughs> Um, which leads to, you know, it's a spiral downwards. It's a low self-esteem about preaching. Nobody comments on the No one seems to... The kind of what Steve's talked about, the good sermon, that people are still fighting about five days later, uh, the expectation for that is minimal. So it is difficult to have two high points in, in, a, in a service. You know, if, if, if you're really coming to receive communion... Okay, the theology of that is quite problematic in a sense that it, it, it's very individualistic, you know, that coming out of the Book of Common Prayer of 1662, a very individualistic notion of your relationship with God and of what communion actually is. It's not a corporate act. But if, if you're coming with that, then the sermon is really taking up time in order to get to communion. In, in, uh, in America, in the church where I served in America, I did change this tradition, but, but, and, but it was kind of normal, mainline, that's to say, Presbyterian, um, United Methodist, Lutheran, and so on, uh, ch churches, the 20-minute sermon, the sermon was, was the high point, and there wouldn't be communion more than once a month. So in that tradition, people come for the sermon, and a, then there's a spiral upwards, because the sermon has to be really good if that's what people are really coming for. So I think that the emphasis on communion... Uh, the Eucharist in the Church of England, in the sort of broad Church of England, has been deleterious for the practice of preaching. Um, I'd like to think, with Richard being one of our uh, most regular preachers here and other colleagues, that, that actually that's not the case at St. Martin's, uh, that, that people do come expecting to be given something really serious to think about and something really serious to respond to in their heart as well. Um, and that that is as much of an encounter with God as they receive at the communion table. But I think that's a bit of narrative about how we've got to where we are and how difficult it is to change that, frankly, without going beyond an hour and five, an hour and ten minutes. Not for the sermon, the whole service. <laughs> um, and, and, and which is, as we all know, as far as you can ever go in this life. <laughs> so it, it's a challenge to get it right, but it can be done. Um, you, you've already hinted that your book is not... A practical book in the sense of you know here's where you start is uh, you know Mondays you read the text Tuesday read the commentaries um, despite a very practical sounding title what's the best way to use how to preach I'm probably not the best person to ask that question to um, it's a it's a little bit um, churlish but the title is often chosen by the publisher <laughs> <laughs> That's because we have to sell it. Um, uh, I, I, think, I think it's about, it's about renewal. You know, on, on the 1st of January, what do we think about? We think, okay, that didn't go very well with my family over Christmas. How can we do it better next time? Uh, we think, oh my goodness, it's so dark and miserable. When can I go on holiday? And we think, gosh, I ate and drank a bit too much. How can I improve a few things around there? And that seems to me the time to get out the holiday brochures, the time to think about the diet, the time, you know, the time to think about maybe not trying to see so many relatives in a short spent of time, you know, that kind of thing. So I think 
when you go away as a preacher for a few days, you're not preaching for a couple of Sundays for whatever reason, maybe you're on holiday, then that's, you know, you've got a little bit of time to sit down and think, yeah, I think I could do this a little bit better. We could all do it a little bit better. I'd like to feel this, yeah, this isn't an entry level for telling people how to do it from the very beginning. It's taking people seriously as preachers who are doing this on a fairly regular basis and saying, how could we do it a little bit better? And, and it's divided into, do, you know, I've got a few hobby horses. You heard one or two of them today. I think preaching on the Old Testament is really, really important. I think preaching on parables is really important. And I've got a whole chapter on preaching on parables. So there's, there's things you might look at if you're going to be preaching on a parable, for example. And then the seasons, you know, how, how not to mix Advent up with Christmas without being very prissy about Advent when everyone's celebrating Christmas. You know, to, to get into what are the right messages to be giving at, at different times of year. And then how, how do you get it right at a baptism when you've got this visiting family in, but the regulars are both supposed, supposed to be incredibly welcoming, but actually they're saying, why do all these horrid people have to be here? Um, and, you know, it, it, it's reflecting pastorally on, on, on different contexts. And then there's, I think, possibly one of the most important chapters is the one about funerals. Because I, I say in the chapter, and I often say, you know, a good funeral sermon is worth about 30 normal sermons. People listen at a funeral to the sermon in a way they don't listen on a normal Sunday. And I've got a few suggestions. I think I've got five different options there of how you pursue, you know, how do you talk at a funeral when nobody really liked him very much? You know, that, that's worth thinking about. So, so I go into one or two sort of case studies like that. Yeah. Right, last question, because we're eating our way into lunchtime. Two questions rolled into one. What are you hoping readers will gain from it? And how will they know they've become better preachers? Well, I, uh, Steve referred to this, and I'm fascinated by his sort of preacher circle, especially the beer. Um, but I've referred to it. I, I, I do. I started sending sermons to people when I started writing them down. My first, almost all my first... 14 years of preaching, I didn't write sermons down, I spoke without notes, I prepared it the Saturday night and so on. When I went to Duke Chapel and started preaching to a thousand people every Sunday, I thought, oh gosh, I might forget what I'm going to say, I think I probably ought to write things down. And then I found people wanted a copy afterwards and then it's so tedious to go back and write it all, you know, if people <laughs> wanted a copy of Steve's thing, he's got to go back and write it all up. And then the people want it on a website and then I think, oh, I could use this another time, you know, and I ended up writing, writing things down. And when I started writing things down, I started sending them to three, four people. You know, I started writing them 10 days ahead or nine days ahead, send them to three or four people. They become better sermons. So you realize you're doing a better job when those people's feedback becomes not, oh my goodness, that opening illustration is so embarrassing, I can't believe you sent it to me. <laughs> but have you thought about putting it at the end rather than at the beginning? And then you think, oh, I'm getting better at this and I'm getting to the fine details. Um, and we, at the end of our PCC meetings, uh, we have this tradition at St. Martin's uh, of, you know, you've been at the PCC meeting, in the last five minutes you turn to your neighbour and you say, what went well, even better if. And I think that's a, good, that's a great th thing to do at the end of a sermon with somebody who cares about you. You know, you've been in the congregation three, four years. As a member of the congregation, you, you see as a friend and not just as a congregation member. And then you, you ask them what they thought. And they tell you. If they trust you and you can take it, you've got to show you're not defended about it and you're prepared to learn. Uh, and that's, that's how you learn. You, you learn by feedback. And uh, if you're going to be all prickly and, 
and say, oh, you, you, uh, tell me how it was and make sure it's really nice because I'm very, very sensitive. <laughs> then they'll say, it was very, very nice. <laughs> and you'll learn absolutely nothing. Um, but if you're prepared, uh, you know, I have, on the basis of feedback, completely rewritten sermons about three or four times. That's, it probably should be more. But, you, you, you know, if, if you give yourself enough time and somebody says, I'm, I'm afraid they just completely missed the mark. This is a real, you know, somebody just shared, you know, this is a real trigger story for me. You know, this is a real gut level issue for some people. And you've talked up here as if it's just an intellectual thing. You've got to listen to that. And, and you've got to share your sermon with people whose life experience is diverse. So that your stuff is, you know, the things that you miss, because we're all unconsciously biased in one way or not, you, you, you say, okay, I'm going to budget for that, and I'm going to either get feedback after sermons, or I'm going to send them in advance to somebody from a social location, which needs to speak into my experience. So that's how you get better. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Church Times podcast. You can find more news, analysis, comment and book reviews on our website, churchtimes.co.uk. If you are not yet a subscriber to the Church Times, you can try your first 10 issues for just £10. You'll get the paper delivered to your door every Friday, plus full access to our website and digital archive. Go to churchtimes.co.uk forward slash subscribe to find out more.